Sunday here in the tent, and next Sunday we move inside, so we're excited about that. But we do want to start, as we do every week, and remind you that we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And that is our desire to do in everything that happens here at Grace. And so we want to encourage you to join with us in making much of Jesus proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving him. And again, next week we are moving inside, um, so that is a big deal. Um, we want to encourage you that as we do, we're kind of opening things back up to uh, full-fledged um, uh, ministries and service opportunities here at Grace, and so we want to encourage you to plan to be here for at least two services um, each week, one service to attend a service, and, another, and um, at least one other service to either serve or participate in a Sunday school class or be involved in other ways. So um, check uh, the website or the cards that are on some of the chairs, and you can get more information about that. There's also a summer calendar with information about what's going on throughout the summer, and so we want you to check that out. This afternoon, we have an all-church barbecue. There are over 300 people already signed up for that, um, and it's going to be a great time. Um, you can uh, look over here to my left, your right. There is already the smoker producing lots of smoke, and I'm sure that there is all kinds of good food with that. So um, plan on being here at 4.30 this afternoon uh, for the barbecue. Bring your own beach chair or blanket or something to sit on, um, but come to enjoy the food and being together. Coming up on June 12th, guys, um, this is something to uh, pay attention to, June 12th. We have a quarterly men's event. It'll be here at 8 o'clock. We do need helpers set up um, in, with the kitchen um, and serving in other ways. You can sign up online. But most of all, what I want to encourage you guys, um, we have a guest speaker here that morning. His name is Jonathan Rourke, somebody that I've known for a long time and uh, is actually just uh, a, a world-class speaker. He has a, uh, a, a, an amazing personality, but more than all of that, he loves the Lord and is super, super gifted at opening the Bible and um, making that clear and powerful in our lives. And we're uh, fortunate to have him be here for the men's event on June 12th. So guys, I would really, really encourage you to be here that morning. Coming up at the end of June is VBS. Um, there's still a need for lots of helpers. You can sign up to help with VBS online, but also um, want to let you know, we really want to uh, encourage you to be inviting friends, be inviting uh, families with kids to uh, sign up and be a part of VBS. It's a great outreach opportunity. And in general, we have a lot of opportunities for service here at Grace right now. We need more helpers with VBS, with our AV team, with our connecting team, early childhood on Sunday mornings. So again, sign up online, sign up using the QR codes and link to serve at Grace. And last thing for this morning, lots of things going on. Last thing is uh, we have a special offering today for Hume Lake. Uh, Hume Lake has changed the lives of a whole lot of students who have gone over the years, and uh, we want to have scholarship opportunities for people who might not otherwise be able to go. So uh, if you are willing, um, we, we are doing a special offering. You can do that either online or with the boxes in the back, but that would just be giving um, above and beyond what you normally would give and just be designated specifically for Hume Lake scholarship. So. This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand as we begin our time together, um, and I'm going to be reading from Psalm 146, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 146, 1 and 2. And it says, 
praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And that's what we want to do this morning. Lord, we come to you and recognize that you are the Lord. You are the one who reigns supreme over all, and you are worthy of all our praise, all our affection, all of our hearts. And so, God, would you move in us this morning so that we would respond to you as we should with hearts full of praise, and we want to do that now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing Blessed Be Your Name together. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name.
please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Maybe grab your Bible. We stand in honor of God and His inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word. And this morning I'm going to be reading from John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. And then we are going to be praying this morning, and we want to remember Jonathan and Sarah Eggert, who are missionaries that we support locally here, who actually serve with crew at UCI and Chapman Universities um, doing college ministry, and so we want to uh, be sure to pray for them this morning. So first, John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are the sovereign over all things, that there is not one molecule outside of your sight and outside of your control and God, you reign supreme, and you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And yet, God, we confess that too often we do not depend on you, we don't need you, we don't lean on you as we should. But yet, God, if we would actually know and believe the extent of your sovereign control and the extent of your goodness and the extent of your love, God, we would depend on you much more fully, and we would lean on you in every aspect of life. And so, God, as we come to you this morning, we ask that you would use this time, that you would use your body here at Grace, that you would use your word, that you would use the time of our singing to turn our eyes to you, to see you more clearly, to depend on you more fully, and that, God, as we would do that, that we would make much of you, that we would proclaim your name amongst ourselves here and throughout the world as we would go out. God, that you would be honored and glorified and lifted up because of our complete allegiance and dependence on you. God, we pray for Jonathan and Sarah as they serve you through crew, as they serve in college ministry on dark campuses. God, would you give them encouragement and strength as they um, endeavor in that ministry? God, would you um, give them wisdom as they seek to navigate challenging and difficult circumstances of proclaiming your word on secular campuses. God, would you allow them to see fruit in that ministry and that lives would um, be changed as they would come to see you in your word and through the proclamation of the gospel. God, would you do that very thing here today, change lives through the proclamation of your word and empower Mike as he brings um, your word to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the fruit of your home. Yeah. 
Lord, we ask now that as we begin to or come to hear your word, that you would drive it deep into our hearts by your spirit. Lord, please bring about the kind of life transformation, conviction, encouragement that you desire for us this morning. Lord, this is no dead word, but a living word. So we pray that you'd help our hearts to receive it now. That's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. John chapter 14 today on this Lord's Day, opening up the inspired, inerrant, infallible word and trusting the Spirit of God to use it to save and sanctify as he wills. Welcome to all of you here and those joining us on the live stream. Uh, The occasion of this passage is the Upper Room Discourse, John chapter 13 to 17, and it contains profound theology about God's sovereign purposes, about God's love in Christ, about our union with Christ because of God's good pleasure and the outworking of his plans. And then in John 14 to 16, before the cross here, Jesus is telling his disciples about things to come and about the promised Holy Spirit that would be sent, that would empower them as his witnesses. And today, it's understanding the Holy Spirit, part two, and I'm praying that You will grow in your understanding of the Holy Spirit today as we explore these life-changing truths so that you would have joyful fellowship with him and that you would be able to serve Christ with clarity as well as confidence. That's sometimes hard to come by because we live in a very confused, self-focused world. And this world in which we live, all sorts of things are being invented. People are inventing their own truth. And they're reimagining their identities, and they're, they're using different pronouns as they share space with those who identify with whatever is currently popular. We are even creating laws and policies around ridiculous delusions like a man can be a woman and vice versa. And so we start using terms like trans and non-binary and in- inclusive language so we don't offend anyone. And... Reality is getting twisted before our very eyes, and it's very easy for Christians to, to kind of get sucked into that vortex, and what, what is true is that it is false and delusional. But what I want to address today is how professing Christians can adopt false ideas about God and about the identity specifically of the Holy Spirit and kind of be like in a fog or, or maybe have rose-colored glasses on and, and think that everything they, they think is, is right about God and it's going to affect the way that we, that we live in this confusing world in which we live. A lot of people who think that the Holy Spirit is a force or a power that they need to you know, grab hold of rather than God, the third person of the Trinity, Uh, People think that the Holy Spirit downloads messages, secret messages, just to them. Uh, They attribute their emotions to the Spirit of God. They they convince themselves and others that the Holy Spirit is, is doing things that he isn't doing. And it's a confused, subjective way to live. 
People like Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 thought he could buy the Holy Spirit with money, thought he could buy the gift of God with money. The Spirit is routinely used and abused by those whose hearts are not right with God, but they also deceive the unsuspecting. They, they deceive the sincere and the naive that might be sincerely wrong. To grow as a Christian, you need to understand the identity and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to make heads or tails of the Christian life. You're going to keep getting tossed to and fro by all sorts of ideas and a world system that is opposed to what the Bible says. And by the way, we don't need to use inclusive language with the Holy Spirit. He is a he. He is God, as the Scripture says. And the Spirit's ministry is neither vague nor is it subjective. It is not up to us. Now, that will offend many Christians, many professing Christians. That will offend them because they've been told, no, it's up to you. You know, the Father and the Son, they're fixed, but the, the Spirit you can work with and, and kind of mold into how you'd like to use Him. It's been said that the way that you show that a stick is crooked is to lay a straight one next to it. And the Spirit's identity and ministry is straight up taught in Scripture. And as you grasp what the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, it will help you surrender to God's sovereign sufficiency. It will help you to understand God's ways and works in your life as you live, you know, where the rubber meets the road in daily life. The big truth we saw last week, and we'll see again today, is that the Holy Spirit is God with and in you, empowering you to serve Christ. If you're a believer, that is the big truth. The Holy Spirit is God with you and in you, empowering you to serve Christ. Now, last time we saw the first two truths in this passage. We'll see the third one today. Let me just go back and, and look at those. The first is that the Holy Spirit is the promised helper of believers who regenerates us, who brings the dead to life. The Spirit gives life. We don't have life in ourselves, in and of ourselves. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they turned away from God, they chose death. So now we are born spiritually dead, as Ephesians 2.1 tells us. And we love other things. We do not want God. We will not ever choose God on our own. William Tyndale grew up thinking that Christianity was an external thing, that it's all about what you said and did and just make sure you said and did the right things. And then he read the Bible and realized, and here's what he said, the Spirit's first work is to free our sinful hearts so that we would desire the Lord. To free our sinful hearts that we would desire the Lord. Because the Spirit gives new birth. The Spirit gives new life. The Spirit, even as Ezekiel 36 tells us, gives you a new heart. John 3 tells us that, that those that are, that, are, that are born of God are born of the Spirit, and the Spirit uses the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says that you've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. James 1.18 says that we are to receive the Word implanted, which is able to save our souls. Martin Luther said, by my own strength, or reason, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. The Holy Spirit has called me 
through the gospel. Titus 3.5 tells us that he saves us not based on works that we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, making the dead to live, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That our will is enslaved in sin unless and until the Spirit of God gives us life. And that happens because of God's eternal love in the Trinity, and he chose to have fellowship with all whom he chose before the foundation of the world. So the first truth we saw is that the Holy Spirit is the promised helper of believers. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, here's God the Son saying, I will ask God the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The second truth that we saw last week is that the Holy Spirit is the present teacher of believers, with believers. The Spirit of truth, as verse 17 says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. The spirit of truth, who illumines the scriptures, transforms us by the word, who anoints or teaches us by giving us wisdom and counsel and understanding. We'll see more of this next week as we, as we uh, look at understanding the will of God. But today, we'll look at the third truth, and it is this, that the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the powerful leader of believers who sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ, makes us holy. So in verse 17, Jesus says, you know, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that's the big idea, that he will be in you. And the point is that the Holy Spirit is in believers, indwelling believers. Now, the Holy Spirit has been with all who have ever believed throughout redemptive history, the source of truth and faith and life. As we saw last week, the Spirit was active in Old Testament times, creating the world, Genesis 1-2, Genesis 6-3, striving with people in their sin. And the psalmist said in Psalm 51, don't take away your Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given. Even in Isaiah 63, we see that the Spirit is grieved over the disobedience of God's people. But then Jesus appears on the scene, and what he essentially says is, something new is coming. Something new is coming. And if you, if you look at John 6, in John chapter 6, and beginning at verse 35, Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever who comes to me, I will not cast out. And it is the will of the Father that anyone who looks on the Son and believes in him has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The promise of Christ. And then you get into John 7. And in verse 37, we see that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stands up and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's a very significant thing that Jesus is saying on the last day of this annual one-week Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Israelites would give up the comfort of home to live in tents for a week. And we've been doing this for a year, right? There, they did it for a week, to remind them, to remember 
of God's salvation, uh, bringing them out of Egypt, how they should give up their self-reliance, they should give up their selfish ways, and it harkens back to Leviticus 23, you shall dwell in booths for seven days, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. And this was a joyful feast, the most joyful of the feasts that God gave his people to remember his work, this Feast of Tabernacles, celebrated at the end of the agricultural year when the grapes and the olives were harvested in Israel. And they were thanking God for his provision. They were praying for rain for the coming rainy season in October through March. It's going to be so tempting for them after the great harvest to say, look what we did. Look what we accomplished. So living in booths for a week reminded them that their success was due to God's grace. Reminds us, always trust God for supply. Always give God the credit. And then the Israelites added a water-pouring ceremony through the years, even up a few generations before Christ came onto the scene in the Incarnation, and they recalled God giving water to them in the desert, Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. And the priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam, and he would put it in a golden container. He would take that water from the pool of Siloam, and he would carry, the high priest would carry it back to the temple and pour it into a basin at the, near the altar in the temple. And as the procession, there'd be a procession of people, and as they would come to the water gate on the south side of the inner temple, three trumpet blasts would would come out and and the people would recite Isaiah 12, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Once at the temple, the priest would march around the altar with water in that container as the temple choir sang Psalms 113 to 118. It was all about praising God for his goodness and trembling in his presence and, and highlighting his love and his faithfulness forever. And Jesus makes a very public invitation on the last day of the feast where they were remembering these things, and he is telling the people, you accept me, the giver of living water. His words recall Isaiah 55, verse 1, that says, Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come and drink. It was a gospel invitation. Now, if you listen to any of my sermons, what you'll notice is that in every sermon, there is somewhere embedded in that sermon a gospel invitation for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Jesus is giving a gospel invitation. And it's the idea of recognizing your need because you are sinful and your sins have separated you from God and approaching the source of the provision God provided Christ in our place as our substitute, shedding his blood on our behalf for our sins, and then recognizing that and approaching the source of provision and receiving what God has promised, that the thirsty soul would come to Christ and drink and receive salvation. This is why in John 7, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, and he is really referring to Ezekiel 47 and, and Zechariah 13, 1. As the scripture has said, out of his heart 
will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water foretold by Ezekiel and Zechariah. That Jesus is, is indicating, I am fulfilling what the Feast of Tabernacles foreshadowed. Jesus is the one who would provide the living water that gives eternal life. The gospel invitation is clear. God has provided for your need in Christ. And if you are outside of Christ, if you have rejected Christ, and now you are hearing these words right now, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, I will not cast out. You've rejected him, but he will accept you as you come to him by faith, by grace through faith in Christ, that you would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Now, there's your gospel invitation. Believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit is who Jesus was referring to when he is speaking of these rivers of living water. God the Father planned our salvation. The Son, God the Son, secured our salvation at the cross. And now the Spirit of God is going to work out this salvation as he sanctifies the believers that he indwells. He says, and this is what it says in John 7, that what he said on the last day of that feast, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, be indwelt by. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is before the cross, before the, the tomb, before the empty tomb and the resurrection. This was before he died on the cross. And he is telling us very clearly that God the Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual life. He says in John 16 that the helper will not come unless I go. The promise of the Holy Spirit would comfort the disciples. And what is being addressed in John's gospel, in John 7, in John 14, and, and onward, the life-giving power of the Spirit of God, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God, the empowerment of the Spirit of God, and it's not sliced and diced and chopped up in little parts. It's all together. This is what the Spirit of God will do in you as a believer. Romans 8.11 tells us, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you you is the indwelling holy spirit he lives in you if you're a christian that's why you don't have to seek another baptism of the spirit that at the moment of conversion you are baptized into christ a believer has all of god from the moment of conversion on god the father god the son god the holy spirit one god in three persons is with you and immediately and permanently comes to live in you and you have union then between the holy spirit and you it's the joy of our salvation. The Spirit opens blind eyes to see the beauty of Christ, to see the Lord beautiful as he is. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's, pr he's praying to the Father. They may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Spirit of God glorifies Christ. He is at work in us who believe to work out our salvation, our sanctification, and bring us into conformity to Christ. Every Christian is being conformed to Christ. 
whether you feel it or not, whether you recognize it or not, if you have a truly changed life, it's because Christ is in you and the Spirit indwells you and is conforming you to Christ. That you would be a witness in the world to the power of the indwelling and empowering Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth that you will be the Spirit-empowered, indwelt witnesses of Christ for the gospel. And you notice what happened in the book of Acts. Just this, this started this chronological record of the impact of Spirit-empowered disciples and, and the impact they had on the, word, the world as they brought the word. In the Old Testament, the power was given to some believers. In the New Testament, all believers are indwelt. At Pentecost, God fulfilled the prophecy of Joel 2 and pours out that power on all of us who believe. From the moment of conversion on, the Holy Spirit was promised. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go searching for him or chasing him down. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is received by faith. It indwells every believer the spirit of sanctification, as he is called, the spirit of holiness that abides with you and in you forever. You realize that without the Holy Spirit, there would be no Old Testament or New Testament, there would be no gospel, there would be no faith, there would be no new birth. There's significant works and activity of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God with you and in you, empowering you to serve Christ because the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. I want to point out to you some of the works of the Holy Spirit, some of the activities, some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that you would see that these are foundational, these are ongoing, and these are things that the Spirit does, that the Bible says the Spirit does. The first is that the Spirit of God convicts unbelievers leading the elect, leading those who will believe to repentance. In John 16, if you look in John 16, verses 7 through 11, by the way, just the other day, I don't know why, but second hour, I always have trouble with my microphone. It always moves around. Someone said to me last week, hey, I was watching on the live stream. What was on your ear? They, you know, live stream people, I love you. I am so glad you're, you're with us. And whenever I do this, I'm not like, you know, going like this to my earlobe. I'm, I'm trying to fix my sliding microphone. I'm Italian. I got oily skin. It's probably by second hour. It's just moving all around, you know. I don't know. I did that just for you. <laughs> it was for you, Mom. All right. The Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers, leads those who will believe to repentance. In John 16, in verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Then he explains concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That if you're convicted of sin, if you have the heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit upon you, that you know you're a sinner and you know you're lost and you know you can't save yourself, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to open your heart to the gospel. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we have, as believers, the righteousness of God in Christ. He makes us the righteous of God in Christ. And then he says this concerning judgment, because the, world, the ruler of this world is judged. Don't follow Satan. 
don't follow the rule of the world. He is, he is defeated in Christ. And when you have the Spirit's conviction upon your heart, you, you run to Christ and you confess your sins as the psalmist did in Psalm 32 and verse 5. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. That's what we were doing before we come to Christ. We're just always covering up our tracks. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then the beautiful word that you see in the Psalms, Selah. It's it's indicative of a musical crescendo of, of joy. This is the beauty of repentance that, you know, we always want someone else to repent, right? We're always thinking someone else needs to repent. And when the Spirit of God humbles your heart, you repent. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. And you do that as a pattern of your life, even as a follower of Christ, especially as a follower of Christ. You want assurance that you're on the right track in following Christ? Is repentance in your life? Do you confess your sins? Do you get back on track with the Lord through his forgiveness? A tender heart is a sign of the Spirit of God at work in your life. Secondly, the Spirit of God seals you. This is a a great one. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us that in Christ, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is one of the most significant things that the Holy Spirit does. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until we require possession of it in glory to the praise of his glory. A seal is putting a stamp of approval and ownership on something. It's putting the image on something sealed. It's it's like the wax seal of a king. When you come to Christ, The Holy Spirit indwells you, and the true image of God is imprinted on you, and the Spirit of God is restoring the image of God that has been marred in you because of sin, and he brings you into fellowship, and he sets you apart for God, and he gives you desire to please God and frees you to serve God. The stamp of the Holy Spirit is evidence that God owns you, that you've been accepted by God in Christ. The sealing is where God says, I possess you. You are now secure in me forever. You are his purchased possession, bought by precious blood, safe for the day of redemption. You are secure in Christ, even if you don't feel like it or not. And there's a lot of things in life that cause you to feel insecure. There's a lot of things as you follow Christ because of your sin, because of things that happen where it causes you to question if you're really belong to Christ, the Spirit secures you. This is why Ephesians 4.30 tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve via disobedience the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're safe and secure in Christ. The Spirit of God does that. Third, the Spirit of God assures you, comforts you, cheers you. In Romans 8, verse 14, we read the words that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. You're a child of God. You're not led by subjective impressions or promptings uh, to provide direction. 
in making life's decisions. That's not what that means. It, you're led by the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, objectively leads his children. Now, how does he do that? He does that by orchestrating the events of your life as you see them unfold, but mostly through illumination, where he, God clarifies Scripture to make it understanding to your sinful and finite mind, and then through sanctification. This is the ongoing work of the Spirit of God that enables you to obey Scripture, that you experience this leading. It assures you that God adopted you into his family. Romans 8.15 says, God has not given us a spirit of bondage leading to fear again. He's given us a spirit of adoption. This is a spirit-given awareness that God made you his child, that he made you his, and you can now come to him without fear. You can now come to him without hesitation because he is your beloved father. You belong to him. Verse 16, Romans 8, 16 says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we have been adopted into his family. In Roman culture, an adoption was legally binding when you had seven witnesses present that attested to the validity. In Christ, the Spirit of God confirms the validity of your adoption into the family of God, and, and not by an inner mystical voice, but by the fruit that he produces in your life, by the power that he gives you to, to believe and to serve. So you honor the Spirit of God by obeying his word. You have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You enjoy his comforting presence as he does what he does and keeps confirming your adoption. Number four, he produces fruit. It's the proof of life. The indwelling Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us this. Galatians 5. See, fruit is proof of life. I have three fig trees on our property where we live, and they're all bringing out fruit right now. No, no barren fig tree there. They're all bringing out fruit. It's proof that it is alive. It's green. It's lush. It's bringing out fruit. This is assurance that God has you, and because fruit is being born by the Spirit in your life. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the de desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who practice those things do, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in your life. The other day, I was eating a meal with some folks at their house, and I really got through the whole meal. It was a breakfast meal, and I got through the whole meal, and I noticed a bowl of strawberries on the table. And 
I thought to myself, wow, why did I not see them until after the, the meal was pretty much over? And I started to think, and I started to wonder, are they there for me to enjoy, or are they just decoration? And so I tested it. I reached over. No one else was going for the strawberries either. And I reached over and grabbed one. They were real. And I ate one. And I reached over again and ate another one. And I realized those weren't just decorations. Those were real things for me to enjoy. And interestingly, the fruit of the Spirit is not just decorations for you to tack onto your life. It's there for you to enjoy. This is not like hanging Christmas ornaments, folks. You don't tack things on to your life that you think will make you look good. No, what you do is you, you yield to God in obedience and trust and worship, and he produces what he intends. Because the true knowledge of God will lead to a truly changed life. If you truly know the Lord, there will be changes that will be evidenced. The Spirit of God produces fruit of his Spirit. It's what he does. It's his fruit. Number five, the Spirit of God gives. And we'll do these last three real quick. But he gives gifts. And you can look at this in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, you can't profess faith in Christ and acknowledge his lordship and acknowledge his authority on an ongoing basis unless you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And then it goes on to say that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church, this is in verse 11, as he wills. This is not you to order up, you know, go up to, a, up to the counter and order up the gifts you want. God gives gifts as he wills. Number six, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you according to God's will. That's a full-time job. Romans 8.34 tells us that, and God's prayer for you enables your prayer. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that you can pray because the Holy Spirit is in you. And number seven, he empowers you to serve Christ. He, he empowers you for ministry. Acts 1.8, again, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Ephesians 5.18, it says that we should be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit of God. That means controlled by the Spirit of God. Controlled by God. And the, the, the counter, the, uh, the parallel verse of Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because both verses then say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Do what God empowers you to do. You don't see the wind, but you see the effect. You don't see the Spirit of God, but you see what the Spirit of God does, and you have a Bible where you can see what the Spirit of God has said. And Zechariah 4.6 tells us, it's not by human power, but by God's Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This sanctifying Holy Spirit, this Spirit of holiness, as Romans 15.15 says. The Holy Spirit is God with you and in you, empowering you to serve Christ. And you need to actively be engaged in, in the process of your sanctification. The gears need to be meshing, and, and you need to respond to the Holy Spirit appropriately. Now let me outline a few things about how, it, how your understanding of the Holy Spirit affects your response to him. Because the Bible is clear about what the Holy Spirit will do and, and what the Holy Spirit does, but also how we are to respond to the Holy Spirit. And the first is, is just to worship him to enjoy the Holy Spirit, to rejoice in God's provision of the Spirit in your life. As you have communion with the Father and communion with the Son, you have communion with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.13 says, Through Him, through Christ, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. 
So focus your adoring attention on the Spirit and his saving work of regeneration and his ongoing work of illumination and sanctification. Just don't miss what's right in front of you. Don't go off looking for something mysterious when something very objective and recognizable is right in front of you. Don't rephrase and and redefine what God has said he will do. Kind of like a a holiday that loses its meaning sometimes. The original intent is lost, and we don't even know why we have it, right? How about Memorial Day? Tomorrow's Memorial Day. It's not an excuse to have a barbecue. It's not a time to buy things at discount or, or to have a long weekend. But to remember the sacrifice made by our military. It's an American holiday. To honor those who died serving in the U.S. military by whose sacrifice we enjoy the freedom we enjoy right this moment. And this is where we stop to reflect because the Holy Spirit tells us, you know, we should be praying for our leaders. And if you want to obey the Holy Spirit, pray for your leaders. But also to remember those whose sacrifice we enjoy freedom. Stop to reflect. Be, be thankful for the work of others on your behalf and the benefits you enjoy. And when you think of the Holy Spirit, don't redefine him and reimagine him. He is not a force or a power for you to control. He is not downloading secret messages to you. He is to be worshiped as God. He works powerfully. He works effectively. He purposes and fully accomplishes his will. He works sovereignly. As he wills, he he works freely, and he glorifies Christ. Spurgeon said, it's the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. Satan's work is the opposite, constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. Do you recognize the Spirit's work? Ongoing, active in you? And all the church, all the bride, all the body of Christ, all the family of God, all the household of God, using us for his glorious purposes, that leads me to worship the Holy Spirit. That leads me to to pray dependently. John Owen said, the foundation of all of our communion with the Holy Spirit lies in his being sent by Jesus Christ to be our comforter. The soul is never more lifted up with the love of God than when by the Spirit It is taken into communion with God in prayer. Enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. Whether you get your way or whether you're successful or not in the world's eyes, just joyfully and freely worship. Rejoice in God's provision. Secondly, you need to obey the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, at the very end of that chapter, in Galatians 5.25, it says, we should keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to obey the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says in the Word of God. Uh, That word, keep in step, is like walking in a row or in a straight line and behaving properly. It's either a military term, it's used in military formations, but it's also used of dancing. And it's the idea of you conduct yourself rightly, you do the right dance steps, you obey. So walking by and obeying, being led by the Spirit of God, doesn't mean that you flip some switch and get all subjective and emotional and have wacky ideas. It it doesn't mean you go out looking for secret meaning and hidden wisdom all the time. What it means is you live life aware of the triune God's presence in your life, and you make conscious decisions, real, where the rubber meets the road, real decisions to please God as he has revealed 
in his authoritative words. In a twisted and ignorant world in which you are living, where you heed the warnings. You know, in Isaiah 63, they, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and God became his people's enemy and fought against them because they wouldn't obey him. Even in the call to sexual purity in 1 Thessalonians 4.8, it says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you and I are not free to ignore what God's word says or add non-biblical teaching. This, that grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit. You need to obey the Holy Spirit and what he has said in the word. Some of you are worried that you might have even committed the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. If you're in fear of that today, you probably haven't done it. Those that are always worried are usually the ones that are confessing their sins. The sin against the Holy Spirit is a sin against the triune God that someone commits by disobeying the command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. To reject the Spirit is to reject the love of God in Christ. And then there are many who willingly force their agenda, not spelled out in the Word of God, and they just say, this is what the Spirit is doing, and they, they go against the will of God. I know what happens in my life. The Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin. It humbles my heart and kindly leads me to repent and pray and apologize or change my ways. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.5 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. I know to obey the Holy Spirit uh, looks much more daily living than something that you put on a stage with, with spotlights. It's just where the rubber meets the road. This, the Holy Spirit will use you to restore and repair broken relationships because the love of God has filled your heart by, through the Holy Spirit that was given to you. It gives you a love for God, but it gives you a love for others, even those who have hurt you. I always told my kids when they were growing up, hurting people hurt people, and it keeps happening. My, one of my mentors, Harold Adams, used to say, if you're going to work with people, you have to have the skin of an alligator and the heart of a lamb. And that would replace, that love of God would replace pessimism and negativity and judgment and criticism and hatred and control issues and unforgiveness, and it replaces it with love. Forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you freely. It's interesting that this keep in step with the Spirit is about dance steps. With our daughter getting married recently, I realized I was going to do the daddy-daughter dance, and I was going to be like, I, my goal was don't do anything that would cause them to look at you. Just have them have their eyes on the bride, so you need to learn a few dance steps so that you don't trip her or do something crazy. And so I went and did some of those lessons that I've always made fun of other people for taking. And what I was taught is you follow the leader. Uh, we had a, a teacher that told us what to do, and then the, who I was leading, and uh, you just follow the steps, right? But it, it, it's interesting that this is about like dance steps, keeping in step with the Spirit. Follow what God has said. You know, don't, don't go freestyling it and looking for secret messages. Just allow yourself to be led by the Spirit via the Word of God and do what the Holy Spirit says in God's Word. Right? Worship Him, obey Him. One last thing, trust Him. Trust the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Spirit's work. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever right this moment. We are reaping in our, in our culture, in, in, our, in many of our lives, the, the harvest of a godless worldview. It tells people they don't matter, or they came from green slime, or they're going nowhere, or it's okay to destroy the image of God. 
and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would cause the scales to fall off our eyes, that we would not believe lies, but that we would trust the Holy Spirit to use God's word to shape in us a biblical worldview. Because there is no such thing as a neutral worldview. You cannot take the theology out of science or politics or economics or anything. Everything has a basis or foundation. And 1 John 4, 13 tells us, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Because as the church looks to Christ, the church must look to the spirit, must trust the spirit. It's like when you're learning to drive and you realize that when you're learning to drive, and I've had, you know, I have five kids that have gone through um, uh, driver's ed, and I've done some of those practice things, and uh, <laughs> I was just like all um, really tightly wound in the first few, and I, I'm pretty sure that Sophia got the best uh, version of me while she, and I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying the best version of me while, while I'm driving with her as she's learning, right? And she's, all my kids are great drivers, so follow after Angela, I'm sure. Uh, but what happens when you're doing the driver's ed is you're like, gripping the steering wheel, looking at your hands instead of the road. You're wondering, you're oversteering, you're overcompensating. You're always worried you're going to like do something wrong. You're so nervous. But once you learn to drive, you're like, I didn't even think about whether it was my right foot or my left foot that was hitting the gas. Or the, you know, you just, it just becomes automatic. And I really do believe as we trust the Holy Spirit and we live in obedience to Christ and we, we, we look in the word often, often, we just, we're just drenched in the word of God that we're not worried about every slightest movement in our life but that we're more of the big picture kind of people making adjustments on the move and focusing on what's right in front of us. And we're not so focused with, I need to see a sign or I need to get this miraculous occurrence. How about, wow, the Holy Spirit is doing the works of God in my life all the time and they are miraculous. They're guiding me and giving me wisdom to make good decisions and assuring and comforting my heart and giving me a desire for holiness and evangelism and discipleship and prayer and the word and ministry. I would surrender to God's sovereign sufficiency. That we would say, whatever you say, Lord, I will do. I want to live in whatever way will please you. Lead me, guide me, give me your strength to live. Because God's sovereign ways are worked out by the Spirit through the Word in daily living. Finally, let me give you a couple miscellaneous thoughts about yielding to the Holy Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit. I hope these help you. They helped me just to think them through, and they might seem a little bit random, but the things that I'm going to bring up right now. But let me first talk about self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but there are times I feel like I have a hair trigger on my anger, and the slightest wind can blow my way, and it can go off before any sign of significant trouble. It's just like, wow, what happened there? And what can help us control ourselves is nothing but the Spirit of God using the Word of God in our lives. And where you yield to his beautiful work of beautifying his bride, the church, even when you're in an ugly mood. And you let the Spirit of God defrost your heart, really. Because his kindness leads us to repentance. And his startling beauty can knock anger out, I really do believe, and replace it with uh, peaceful love. So self-control. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Let me say another one. Uh, saying yes to Jesus and no to sin. I know it's kind of an overused you know, line, but saying yes to Jesus and no to sin. If, if, if temptation is like a scary cave, many of us just run headlong into it far too often, and you usually wouldn't run into scary caves. 
And sometimes we even cave into pressure before it even looks our way. And there's that easy deception. There's so much deception in life. It tricks us into thinking that something putrid is pleasant or something evil is enjoyable or your soul gets tantalized by some, you know, morsel of ruinous sin that just looks good in the moment. Now, what can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus applied by the Spirit of God. How about patience or forbearance? It's interesting that patience isn't always on the front of my mind. It's not always on the menu in my heart. Um, it should be the default, but I'm not always very patient. And, and it sometimes feels like it's nowhere to be found. And forbearance is where you say, you know what? I am not going to do a thing about this. I'm going to let God take, take care of it. Far too often, I want to plan out the attack, plan out the comeback, uh, say another harsh word in, in place of the one that came my way. But isn't it better to wait on the Lord and trust him? I, I did this. I, I practiced forbearance several times this week with several situations that were somewhat provoking to me that might not provoke you, but got me a bit provoked. And then one last one. I've been thinking about this a lot. Isolation. I've been living in a world the last year and a half or so of, of isolation many times. And some people isolate themselves on purpose, some by situation, by circumstance. But sometimes we get an independent streak and we start thinking we want to hide or we don't need anyone or we don't answer to anyone. Or have you ever heard yourself say, no one's my boss but Jesus? That means you've boxed out accountability in your life. Um, what do you do with the Lordship of Christ that tells you to, to love one another in the body of Christ? But I have found that everyone feels lonely and isolated at times, and everyone needs some sort of encouragement. And if that's you, I would just say this. Don't wait around for someone else to do that for you. Just go find someone else that you can encourage that might be isolated or lonely and, and just see what God, the Holy Spirit, does as, as you reach out in that way. Uh, that person gets blessed, but also you'll be blessed. So if you ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? I would just say it, he, he is and does what God has clearly revealed. The Holy Spirit is God with you and in you, empowering you to serve Christ. He is in you, indwelling you, sanctifying you. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can respond to your working in our life. You, we, in worship, in, in obedience, in trust, uh, we know, Lord, that you're not a puzzle or an appendage or a spare part or an option. Uh, we are, if we are in Christ, we're in Christ because you and your sovereign good pleasure chose us before the world began. And we persevere even now because you're saving us because the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we know we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to have joyful fellowship with you and to serve Christ with all our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one last song together? Yeah.
my friend George Micklea right here. He's one of our deacons, and he's going to give a quick announcement. All right. Good morning, Grace Church. <laughs> Have you considered where the Lord is calling you to serve here at church? Uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians of the need to join with Christ with the, in the equipping and building up of the body of Christ. And when all the parts of the body are doing what they're supposed to be doing and working properly, the whole body is built up. Mm-hmm. So do you love to smile? Do you, do you have a heart for service or hospitality or you just want to get involved somewhere here at Grace? I want to invite you to join with the Connecting Team Ministry where we serve to uh, create a safe, welcoming, and God-honoring environment for all those who come to worship here. If you are interested, please come see me at the welcome tent after service and I'd love to talk with you. Thank you. All right, thank you, George. And remember, uh, 4.30 today, we'll be back here for the barbecue. This, the meat is getting smoked. It's been on since early, early this morning. We're going to close with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace, who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.